If you would, remain standing and open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. It's Proverbs chapter 8. And if we would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word, but this is a semi-long chapter, so if you need to sit down, please do so. So Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom I have insight, I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than, cho uh, than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the beginning, before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depth, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding in water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit so that its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me obtains favor from the Lord. But he who, finds, who fails to find me in, injures himself and all who hate me love death. Please be seated. For the last four months, we have been going verse by verse through the first seven chapters of Proverbs. We've seen a plea from father to son to find wisdom. We've seen warnings against folly. We've spent seven chapters hammering the same points over and over and over again. Find wisdom. Hold on to it. Don't depart from it. 
And we, thought, and we read about the opposite side of that coin, about folly. Run from it, hide from it. Don't even go near its doors. In chapter 1, we saw the beginning of wisdom was the fear of the Lord. We saw wisdom personified for the first time, that she calls from the streets, but men do not answer. In chapter 2, we saw the value of wisdom, that the Lord gives wisdom freely, understandingness, understanding righteousness, justice, and equity flow from wisdom. And we see that wisdom delivers us from evil. In chapter 3, we're told to trust in, in the Lord with, our, with all our heart and that a person that finds wisdom is truly blessed. Chapter 4, we saw the value of following the wise father's instructions and we saw the choice between two paths and only two paths, folly or wisdom. Chapter 5, we begin to see the negative examples we start seeing folly disguised as an adulterous woman with her sweet words that turn into bitter lies. And again, we get the, again and again and again, we get this idea of stay away from her. Don't go near, don't go near the door of her house. In chapter six, we find folly once again personified as one who puts up security for others. We read about the sluggard, the worthless man, the man who sows nothing but discord, and again we see the adulterous woman and the price that's to be paid with adultery. In chapter 7, we yet again see folly personified as the adulterous woman. We see how she lies, how she seduces, how she hunts her prey. So seven chapters, a father pleading with his son over and over and over again, seek wisdom and stay away from folly. Well, for the next two weeks, we'll be looking at chapters 8 and chapter 9 of Proverbs. We see the culmination of a father's teaching to his son. We've seen wisdom called out. We've seen her value. We've seen the dangers and the death that come from folly. Now we'll see the true value that comes from wisdom. And when we've completed these two chapters, we'll be left with nothing but a choice before we even get to the first proverb in the book of Proverbs, we're left with a choice. Wisdom or folly? Do we take the path that leads to life or the path that leads to death? So in today's text, we'll look at the personification of wisdom again. We see Lady Wisdom with all of her grace, all of this poetic language, the, this beautiful speech that she's going to give. She speaks about her call to all men, her attributes, her divine origin and then makes her strongest appeal yet to seek her out. So read with me again in verses 1, starting in verse 1 of Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroad she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to, the, to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. 
So in verses 1 through 3 of our text, we get a very short but informative introduction to Lady Wisdom. We see again that Solomon tells this story by personifying wisdom as a person. Wisdom is represented as a person for the sake of the lesson only. And we have to be careful not to take this personification too far. Because there are many religions out there that have a god of wisdom. The Egyptians had the god Ma'at. The Assyrians and the Babylonians had Ea. And the Greeks had Athena. All separate deities that represented wisdom. As we'll read on uh, about wisdom... What we're actually talking about here is an attribute of God, not a separate entity, not something that was created. We're talking about a small piece that is God. God is love. God is sovereign. God is also wise. He is wisdom. So we find Lady Wisdom in the same place that we found her at the beginning of Proverbs. She's speaking in the streets. She's at the heights along the way. She's at the crossroads in the city. She's at the city gates. She's at the doors. All of these are public places. Lady Wisdom doesn't hide from us. She doesn't play hard to get. She doesn't make you search for her. All of these places are also places where life happens every day. They're places where business is going to be done. They're places where decisions are going to be made. She's found in the forks in the road of life that either lead to death or lead to life. And wisdom stands for all to see, not as some kind of beggar or tramp on the street, but she stands as a wise teacher, boldly crying aloud for all to hear. She cries out not to the wisest, not to the richest, not to the men and women that deserve it most, but she cries out to all men, to the simple, the foolish, the ones that need her most. And she freely offers prudence and understanding. She stands at the streets of life and declares noble words princely words, upright words, words that are reliable and always true. She has no agenda, no deception. And compare that with what we've read about folly. We read that folly, that her words are sweet, they drip with honey, they're smooth as oil, but at the end they're bitter. They're sharper than any two-edged sword and they lead to death. Lady Wisdom's words lead to, to life. They're more precious than gold or silver more valuable than any, any riches that we can come up with. She offers the most desirable thing you can imagine. If we continue in verse 12 of our text, it begins with Lady Wisdom's attributes. She says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteous in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So Lady Wisdom tells about herself here. She says that she dwells with prudence, and prudence is that ability to govern and discipline oneself. It's the ability to use reason for right things. 
She has strength and insight. She, has, she walks in righteousness and justice. And she tells us in verse 13 why she is going through these attributes. Verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Lady Wisdom hates folly. She hates pride. She hates arrogance. She hates evil and perverted speech. And because she hates these things, she offers herself to all men. She freely gives counsel and insight and wisdom and strength to anyone that asks for it. She said that she loves anyone that loves her and seeks her out. And she makes herself not hard to find. She's in the public places crying aloud. James in his epistle wrote that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generally to all without reproach and it will be given. We're not talking about a difficult process here. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Lady Wisdom says, come and find me. But she's in the streets. She's not hard to find. But she doesn't just say, find me. She says, love me and listen to me. James says something very similar, saying, uh, but let him ask in faith with, doubt, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So Lady Wisdom offers her counsel. She offers her insight, her wisdom, her strength. We have to look at our own lives and ask, well, why would we want these things? It's simple. It's because they're noble, they're right, they're true, they're perfect. The counsel that Lady Wisdom offers is perfect counsel. The insight, perfect insight. The wisdom, perfect wisdom, and the strength is perfect strength. This makes wisdom more valuable than gold. Makes it more valuable than silver. And again, she stands in the public. It, 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 it almost sounds silly. She stands out in front of everyone to see and cries aloud, come find me. We continue in verse 22 of our text. We're taken from the streets to the end of the cosmos and even back to creation itself. Beginning at verse 22, it says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that no waters might transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. As we read this, we need to remind ourselves we're talking about an attribute of God, not some other deity. We're talking about God's wisdom. God's wisdom was present before the foundation of the world. It set, it set in motion the universe. It hung the stars in the sky. It breathed life into man. This is the wisdom that Solomon is having his son go after. So wisdom describes her role in the universe. She was there before creation. Before the very first words of our Bibles, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the void and the waters, before the forming of mountains, before the dust, wisdom was there. 
She was there at creation when the heavens and earth were made. And God delighted in his own wisdom. And wisdom delights in God's creation. If you bear with me, I turn to Job chapter 38. It's Job chapter 38. And bear with me because I want to read the whole chapter. Because I think we can lose sight of the beauty of God's creation, of who God actually is. We get in our minds some tiny little God that only works the way we want it to work. But we need to be reminded that we cannot begin to scratch the surface of God. So that's Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, and who laid its, its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors in it, when, when, uh, with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits, and set bars and doors. And said, thus far shall you come, and no further. And here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since the, your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? Is it changed like clay under a seal, and its features stand out like a garment? From the wicked their delight is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the, into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home? You, you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle of more? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on the land, where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters come like hard stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heavens? Of the heavens? Can you establish the rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that the water, the flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go to you and say, Here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts and given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? 
or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens. When the dust runs into the mass and the clods stick together fast, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry out to God for help and wonder about the lack of earth or the, the lack of food? The perfect wisdom of the Lord is shown at every part of creation. It's God's wisdom that created a universe out of nothing. It's God's wisdom that determined the laws that govern that, govern that universe, the laws of time and physics, life and death, every science that man struggles today to understand. Wisdom was there. That same wisdom in verse 32 of our text pleads with man. Saying, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who, find, who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my door. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. We see the familiar plea that we've had over and over and over again. Hear my words, follow my counsel, follow my instruction. Wisdom's words lead to life. Now it can be easy to look at those first seven chapters that we went through, the four months that we went through, and feel beat down by them. You're told that we lack wisdom. You're told that we're the fool. We can get so down on ourselves that we completely miss the beauty of wisdom. We completely miss the beauty of the idea that the wisdom that created the universe, that hung the stars, that gave us our first life, our first breath of life, this wisdom stands in the street corners of our life and cries out for us to heed her word. She offers us counsel. She offers us knowledge and understanding. She offers a path that leads away from death. We've talked so much about folly over the last four months. And it can seem like there's an endless number of paths that lead to our destruction. We know her words are sweet and inviting, but they lead to death. Folly is standing on every corner at every turn. But the beauty is wisdom is standing right there beside her, crying out for us to listen. Folly demands a price. Wisdom doesn't ask for payment. Wisdom doesn't have a list of requirements that we must meet. She doesn't laugh in the face of our struggles, and she freely offers her counsel, her perfect counsel, to those of us that deserve it the least. It's been hammered over and over and over again. Seek wisdom, run from folly. We've talked about the value of wisdom over and over again. The paths of life and the path of death has been hammered into us. But we should never get tired of hearing this. The wisdom of a holy and righteous God is available to us, and we're utterly undeserving of it. 
I'll leave you with this. If, if you want to see the perfect wisdom of holy God, you need to look no further than your own salvation. God, knowing that we would sin, knowing before the foundation of the world, before he had created a thing, knowing that he was going to make us and we would rebel openly against him. Chose to send his son to overcome sin and death, to make a way for us. And he did it not for us, but he did it for his own glory. In Ephesians chapter 2, we get one of the greatest reminders of this, where Paul writes, and you were dead in your sins and and your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe the two greatest words in all of Scripture is that, but God. Each and every person here either was or possibly still is dead in their sins. Each and every one of us were separated from God. We were at one time in all-out rebellion. Each and every one of us hated holiness. We hated righteousness. Each and every one of us was dead in our sin. Yet through all of that, through the work of Christ Jesus, there's a way to salvation. Not by our own works, not through a payment that we couldn't even begin to repay. Christ made a way to be brought from death and sin to life in Christ. So I would urge you that if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, I would beg you to cry out for salvation. Don't walk out of these doors without talking to me, anyone you've seen on the stage, grab a stranger, and have that conversation with them. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we can be so prideful at times that we, we get it in our heads that we have this idea that we can understand you completely. And while we can study and, and read your word and Lord, learn more about you, which are amazing things, Lord. We just ask that we don't let it cause us to be prideful, but show us the mysteries that are yet to be discovered, Lord. Give us a, 
a view that just leaves us in awe of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray today that we would do exactly what Solomon asked his son to do, that we would seek out your wisdom, Lord, that we would treasure it beyond anything on this earth. That we would love your wisdom and we would hate folly. Lord, as we continue in the final moments of our worship, I just pray that you prepare our hearts for the taking of the Lord's Supper, that you would remind us and give us that awe. Even though we do this weekly, Lord, just the, the awe in the picture that it represents of a perfect and holy God laying down his life for those that are in open rebellion against him, Lord. to give us your righteousness, to let us put on your righteousness and be made holy like you are holy, Lord. I just pray as we leave this place that, that our lives would reflect that awesome truth, that the choices that we make, how we spend our time, how we live our lives, how we love our wives, how we love our children, would reflect the awesome glory of your name. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.